All right, welcome to the listener's commentary on Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 49. This is the final couple of sections in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been exploring over the last handful of sessions. Jesus opened this message by pronouncing blessings and woes on various kinds of people. And the point really was that his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom that reverses the typical way of looking at things. His kingdom has an open-door policy, and anybody and everybody, from regardless of their background, can come into his kingdom and be blessed, experience the blessing of his kingdom. But if you think your life is going to be blessed just because you have the, the stereotypical world's way of looking at things that says, oh, you have the good life if, well, woe to you. So blessings and woes, that was how the sermon started. And then Jesus went into a very, very radical section about the nature of love within his kingdom requires us to love not just those who are loving to us, but loving all people, even those who do harm to us, that love so permeates his people in his kingdom that they become loving of everybody. And here in this section, of the sermon, Jesus continues teaching about, at least at first, interpersonal relationships. And then he shows that being the kind of person who can do what he says in the sermon, especially do what he says in relationship to others, about loving all people, about what he's going to say here, about not judging, to become that kind of person requires us to become like our teacher. And that requires us to remove the plank from our eye so we can actually genuinely love people and help people. So that's where he's going. Then this section will end with the final call to action for the sermon as Luke records it. So let's jump in. Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Let's make sure we think clearly and listen closely to what Jesus is actually saying here, especially in context and his teaching in total. Does this verse, this teaching, mean that uh, we have to suspend the faculty of judgment and never, never find fault with people, like overlook all their mistakes and pretend like they don't have any shortcomings? Well, no. Jesus actually taught us, as his disciples, to discern people by their fruit. In fact, in Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the section about discerning people by their fruit follows in the very next paragraph after the paragraph we have here in Luke chapter 6. In Matthew's version, Matthew chapter 7, you have don't judge. And then after that, you have you'll know them by their fruits. So no, Jesus does not expect us to turn off our faculty of discernment and judgment. Uh, we still are going to inspect people's fruit, right? That's not the point here. Um, in fact, here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is going to tell us that once we take the plank out of our eye, then we can help people remove the speck from theirs. And so speck removal is a real thing. And so discernment, recognizing shortcomings in people, Jesus isn't saying quit doing that, right? No. What is he getting at? Well, look at all the words here in verse 37, and I think you get the idea. Judge, condemn, pardon. You put those three words together, and I think you see what Jesus is getting at, that we're constantly condemning others. Instead of being a person who's always blaming and condemning others, be gracious and pardoning of people. That's central to what he's getting at here. So 
Don't be the kind of person who is constantly, who just has a critical spirit and who is always criticizing, who is critical of others, who's condemning other people. Don't be that kind of person. Not only that, one of the other things that Jesus seems to teach here is notice that if you judge others, if you're critical and blaming and condemning of others, what are you going to get back from people? Well, you're going to be judged. You're going to be condemned, right? Like this is what happens in the give and take of life that if you have that critical, fault finding, blaming, right? Like blame begets blame. Condemnation begets condemnation. Critical spirit begets critical spirit. That's just the way it works. On the flip side, pardon and graciousness begets pardon and graciousness. So you don't judge and you won't be judged. You don't condemn, you won't be condemned. Be gracious and pardoning and people will be gracious and pardoning towards you. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Verse 38, he goes on and he says, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This is just a general principle of how generosity usually works. Not always, but usually this is the case. You be a generous person, give, and somehow things are given to you from others and from God. Like uh, generosity begets generosity. Just as condemnation in verse 37 begets condemnation, generosity begets generosity. If you use a stingy measure, guess what? More often than not, that's what's going to be used with you. People will be stingy towards you. But if you use a generous measure, well, that will lead to a generous measure being used with regard to you. That's just generally speaking the way life works. Uh, in the middle of this verse, he talks about pressed down, shaken together, running over. Uh, don't get lost in the imagery. Pictures say like uh, a, a bag of rice or a bag of potato chips or a bag of beans that has been shaken down in the course of shipping and all of that. And so now there's extra space in the bag, right? That's because it's been shaken down, pressed together. Um, and Jesus' point is, that's going to keep happening. Like if you're a generous person and you use a generous measure, then it's going to keep getting shaken down, shaken down, and the bag's going to keep getting more and more full until it's just overflowing, until there's so much stuff to you. That's, that's the idea. So generosity will lead to generosity. Now, verse 39, Luke tells us, he also spoke a parable to them. So in the context of the sermon, he's going to share a little illustration with them. Um, and this is beginning to wrap up the teaching of the sermon as he begins to now apply it specifically to his audience. And not just his audience in general, but remember, in the context of the, this sermon in Luke chapter 6, we have 12 newly appointed apostles sitting on the front row. So the, the 12 have been chosen at the beginning of Luke chapter 6. And so you have 12 newly appointed apostles who are going to be uh, trained to be the official representatives of Jesus. And so what Jesus says in verses 39 and following, I think primarily focuses initially on them and then to his disciples. And this reminds them of how discipleship works. The 12 newly appointed apostles are going to be guiding others. They need to hear what he says here. So listen to verse 39. Now he spoke a parable to them. A person who is blind 
can't guide another person who is blind, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? Picture it, right? Like using a little sacred imagination is an important part of Bible study. So picture it. You have two totally blind people. Isn't there a good chance somehow they're going to trip over a curb, fall into a pit or some such thing? That's his point. Like blind people don't make good guides for other blind people. And so you have to make sure that you see clearly. Now, remember, you got the newly appointed apostles in the front row who are specifically chosen to guide other people in the way of Jesus. They must not be blind guides. They must make sure that they see clearly, they think clearly, they see straight by embodying Jesus' teaching and carrying out Jesus' ways. That's the idea. A blind person can't be a guide for another blind person because they'll both stumble and fall into a pit. Keep this idea of blindness and seeing in mind as we go down through the next handful of verses. I think it'll help us see how the whole section holds together. So, Uh, He goes on from this uh, illustration of a blind guide, verse 40, to say, A student is not above the teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. The word translated student is mathetes, which is the word for disciple. And what he's describing in verse 40 is just common knowledge from their culture. This is just the way discipleship worked in their world. Blind guides would make blind disciples. That's the connection with verse 39. That if you have a rabbi slash teacher who is blind, who doesn't really see clearly, who doesn't really see the way of life clearly, then what that rabbi is going to produce is disciples who are blind. Blind guides make blind disciples. Seeing guides, on the other hand, will make disciples who actually see. Why? Because a disciple just becomes like their teacher. That's the way discipleship worked in the ancient world. It's important for us to pay attention to that for a lot of reasons, not just for the immediate context, just to make sure we understand how discipleship worked. Because Jesus' call to us at the end of his ministry on earth was to go and make disciples. Well, this is what it means to make a disciple. It means to make somebody who is like our teacher. Our teacher is Jesus. So to make disciples is to make people who are like Jesus, right? That's the goal. Uh, So a disciple doesn't just know what the teacher knows, but after they're fully trained, they will be like the teacher. That is what a disciple is. So leaders and teachers need to make sure that they see clearly before they are trying to pass on what they supposedly know to others. And that is the point Jesus will make with the illustration about the plank and the speck. So let's read what he says in verses 41 and following. Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? So your brother's got a little tiny piece of sawdust, and somehow you manage to see that in his eye, but you've got an entire beam like a support beam coming out of your eye, and somehow you miss that. That's the imagery, all right? So picture what Jesus is saying. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out out of your eye when you yourself don't see the log that's coming out of your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, 
We're in this context about blind guides and seeing guides, and Jesus is using this dramatic imagery of a little tiny speck, a little sawdust, and a log to make the contrast that uh, guides, if we're going to be good guides on behalf of Jesus, our responsibility is to make sure we see clearly before we straighten others out. As one commentator puts it, a disciple's first responsibility is to purify themselves and not set themselves up as a moral watchdog for everybody else. And that flows right in with the context about judging and condemning. Like, your job isn't to have a fault-finding critical spirit where you find everybody's little speck of sawdust and, ooh, what's wrong with every person? No, first, take the log out of your own eye. What is what does that mean? What does it mean to have a log in your eye? Does Jesus just assume that we're all so terrible we have a log? Well, no. The log is the critical fault-finding spirit driven by our own sense of moral superiority. That's the problem. When we have this superiority complex that leads us to have this critical fault-finding spirit, that's the log. So let's get rid of that. Let's recognize our own need for grace. Let's humble ourselves before Jesus and let him teach us first. Then we will actually see clearly enough how we can best help our brother. But as long as we have a superiority complex, as long as we have a critical fault-finding spirit, not a spirit that has been uh, humbled before the goodness, wisdom, holiness, purity, and grace of Jesus, we're not going to see clearly how we can actually best serve people and help remove their speck. In fact, the more we take the superiority complex out of our own eye, the less we're probably going to be finding specks in other people's eyes. So uh, take the log out of your own eye first. Purify your own self first. As A.W. Tozer said, be hard on yourself and easy on others. Let's, let's spend more time examining our own life so that we can remove the, the, the log from our eye and not have a superiority complex with a critical and fault-finding spirit. That's the idea. Remove the log from your eye. Now, taking that log out of your eye means you will become a good tree. Uh, now you're actually able and ready to produce good fruit. Once we remove that log from our eye, we become good trees. So verse 43, 4, notice that it's logically connected to what he said. So there has to be some sort of connection. So 4, there is no good tree that bears bad fruit. Nor, on the other hand, is there a bad tree that bears good fruit. For each fruit, each tree is known by its own fruit. For people do not gather figs from thorn bushes, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush, right? Like the kind of tree you are determines the kind of fruit you produce. An apple tree will produce apples. An orange tree will produce oranges. You're not going to pick oranges off an apple tree. You're not going to, in Jesus' example, you're not going to pick grapes from a briar bush. You're not going to pick figs from a thorn bush. Just not going to happen. They don't grow on those kind of bushes. They grow on a fig tree. They grow on a grapevine. True? That's his point. So the kind of tree you are determines the kind of fruit you produce. And so uh, as we take the log out of our own eye, what happens is we're becoming a genuinely good tree, and that means we will produce good fruit in our own life and in relationship to other people. We'll be helpful 
to other people and will produce good fruit in their life as well. So there is no good tree that produces bad fruit. If you have a healthy, vibrant, flourishing tree, it's going to produce good fruit. If, on the other hand, you have a sickly tree, it's not going to produce good fruit. Just can't, right? And so Jesus wants us to become so like him. Disciples become like their teacher. He wants us to become so like him that we naturally and instinctively produce good fruit because we're good from the inside out. That's the point. So he goes on in verse 45 and says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, notice that, from the inside, the heart is the control center of the person in biblical theology. So the good person, out of the good treasure that's stored up deep within his control center in his heart, brings forth what is good. He's a good tree, and he routinely and naturally and regularly produces good fruit because of the kind of person he's become. On the other hand, the evil person, out of the evil treasure stored up in his heart, right, like out of the control center of his place that is now warped and twisted and evil, is going to bring forth evil. Then Jesus actually says, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And so speaking is a key uh, way of demonstrating good fruit in our heart. Speaking is the way we guide other people and blind guides uh, lead people into pits. But good guides lead people into good things, right? And so we ourselves need to be working hard on becoming good trees by learning from Jesus if we want to be good guides. And that's the context of this whole thing. So don't spend your time condemning others, blaming others, critiquing others, fault-finding others. Spend more of your energy looking at yourself growing yourself, cultivating your life with Jesus, becoming a good tree from the inside out. And as you do that, what will happen? You will begin to bear good fruit consistently and routinely because you become a good tree. And that means you will routinely do the things that Jesus teaches. And that's where the sermon here ends in verses 46 through 49. Jesus ends it with this concluding appeal to do the things that he teaches. And so he says in verse 46, Now, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? Like, why would you say Jesus is Lord, but not actually do what Jesus teaches? If you think he's Lord, that means he's master and he's in charge. That means he's our teacher in the school of life. That means we have confidence in what he's teaching us, so we'll do what he says. He's our master. He's our Lord. We listen to him. And we do what he says. Why would you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus says, and not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you what he's like. So what's a person like who actually listens to Jesus and does what he says? Here's what it's like. And Jesus is going to use an illustration. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when there was a flood, the river burst against that house, and yet it couldn't shake that house because it had been well deep. Notice here in this illustration, he dug deep. That implies effort, hard work. That speaks of below-the-surface work, not just uh, external work, but digging deep below the surface. This takes time. This means there are no shortcuts. This guy doesn't cut corners. He's willing to put the time, the effort, the energy, the work, the expense in to dig deep and to build his house on the rock. 
and his house is solid. Um, but, verse 49, the one who has heard and not acted is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. He just props it up right there on the sand, and the river burst against that house, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. He, he didn't want to put in the effort. He just wanted to get a house up quickly. So he just quickly throws a house up right on the sand, and when the river hit that house, boom, just washed it away and knocked it down. Now, the imagery is a picture of our life. Our life. Uh, are we the kind of person who digs down deep, removes the, the log from our eye, uh, puts our roots down deep into the soil so we can become good trees? Do we listen to what Jesus says and figure out how to do those things? And if there's things keeping us from doing them, do we figure out why we're struggling, right? Do we dig deep and do we become the kind of person who does what Jesus wants us to do? And remember, Jesus has 12 newly appointed apostles in the front row. He's got disciples gathered in the crowd. And he's got this whole crowd. And the crowd's going to have to decide, are they going to be followers of Jesus or not? But Jesus is saying to his followers, there and then in that original crowd and to us today, he's saying to us, you have to become good fruit trees. You have to become the kind of people who put in the effort and the time to do what I'm actually teaching. Not just know it, but to become like your master. And if you do that, you will actually be a good guide. You will be a good tree because you will be a genuinely good person from the inside out and you will bring forth good fruit.